0: Good morning, everybody. My name is Kevin Bates, and I'm the lead pastor for Resonate Christian Church. And then we welcome you this morning wherever you are at. Maybe uh, you are able to sit down in your home and watch this fully, or maybe you're on the go and you're only able to take a piece here, a piece there of this sermon. And worship time. And wherever you're at, we want to tell you that we love you, we care about you, and we want to hear from you. So if you want to connect with us, go ahead and connect with one of our social media platforms or directly message us. We want to know your prayer requests and what's going on in your life. Uh, Today is uh, the day after the 4th of July, but still happy 4th of July weekend, everybody. I hope that you had a safe day yesterday and you were able to spend time celebrating the fourth in however way that you do. Our desire uh, each and every week is to do this broadcast at 10 o'clock. We also have a 9.30 coffee time. If you wanna jump in on a Zoom chat for coffee uh, and fellowship, just to connect with one of our pastors or connect with uh, the congregation, you can. And also the 9.30 children's program where we have special guests with Rob Thompson and his puppets and and such, and it's just a great time for our kids. That happens at 9.30, and so connect with Bethany Flug for a private Zoom chat link that you can connect your kids into our children's program. Right now, we want you to go ahead and grab some communion elements, if you haven't already, grab some juice or wine, and some bread, and prepare those now as we take communion every week here at Resonate. We want to continue that even on an online broadcast, and so go ahead and prepare those now As and turn up your device as I have a short introduction that we will we will do, and, uh, and then we will take communion at the very end. This candle I light each and every week. This candle is the Christ candle. It tells us that Christ's light is in the darkness, that no matter where we are at, what we are doing, however the world is, the culture and society is, that Christ's light shines. Even when we don't feel like Christ is there, that Jesus is amongst us, that maybe we just feel distant from God. This promise and this candle represents that even in our darkest times, that Jesus is, is with us. As we get started, our mission statement is we are a community that loves like Jesus, and we know that loving like Jesus can be strengthened and expressed more deeply when we develop these core values in our life. Daily devotion of scripture, prayer, freedom from strongholds of sin, serving the community, sacrificial generosity, sharing and knowing each other's stories, and celebration. And my prayer is that we can develop those in our life, and we can learn to love as Christ loved, and we can learn better and do better. So today we are continuing our sermon series on racial reconciliation. We're going back to that. Last week I took a little short break, um, from answering questions and addressing it directly out of Scripture. And today I want to continue the sermon topic. A question in our, in our congregation has emerged that what is Resonate going to do about the racial division? How are we going to participate in bringing unity? I do want to answer those questions, that question specifically over time. That's going to take some learning and some listening, I believe and just developing and evolving into what our church, how our church can address, and what our church can do to bring unity amongst racial division. But our nation is in desperate need of healing. And I think it's going to take each and every one of us to participate and do something, to speak up or stand up, to rise up and help others to rise as well, to bring healing and at least a conversation, a starter conversation of where do we go from here. And so our nation, again, is in desperate need of healing. I hope that you agree with that. I believe it's in desperate need of healing. And honestly, we are a mess as a nation. If you look at our nation just in general with, I guess, the pandemic and and just where people are and also the racial division that has been around for a very long time. That our nation, just with people relation or culture relation, is is messed up in some ways. And the church cannot be silent in that. We cannot be silent in that conversation. We cannot sit on our hands and do nothing and say nothing when, at the core, racial division uh, is a God issue racial reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel and we need to address it and we need to be a part of the solution. So I believe that the church is an answer to racial division. I believe that the church is an answer to to racism. And so today I wanna pivot deeper. I wanna go deeper into scripture and make sure that we are grounded in this topic of racial reconciliation and that, we are, that our grounding is biblical, that we're not just taking opinions or political opinions and adopting those without any biblical grounding. I wanna start there, and in a sense, not necessarily start over, but, but start there in grounding us in a biblical perspective of where racism, especially in the United States, has come from, and also uh, making sure that we have a biblical message when it comes to racial reconciliation, how to bring uh, unity to the people. There's a lot of comments and opinions flying around about racial reconciliation and racial division. And what's definitely concerning me is a lot of the the anti-voices or the the critical voices of, of racial reconciliation, Um, is coming from a larger Christian community. I believe that the Christian community gets afraid of things sometimes that feels outside of the normal. And so we react as Christian community, the larger Big C Church, we react in pretty, um, I would say, erring on the side of criticism and rightness versus erring on the side of history of love and kindness. Once I preached a sermon that would I rather... Uh, what I do I rather do I want to be right or do I want to be kind? I believe that the church and Jesus and his gospel message preaches love over everything. And so our job is to not make sure that everyone is right. Our job is to love and to be kind. And one of the fruit of the spirits, of course, the fruit of the spirit um, includes kindness and love. And so we need, to, we need to embrace the side of history that embraces love and kindness. In Titus 2, 11, it says this, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. So one of the foundational ideas of racial reconciliation is right there in Titus 2 where we see that salvation wasn't just for a certain people. It wasn't just for a class of people or a race of people or a nation of people. Salvation was for all people, the whole human race. It was for everybody. Jesus came for everybody. Jesus died for everybody. Jesus resurrected for everybody, and he promised to return to everybody. And so when you think about When you think about Jesus and coming and the gospel and the idea of the cross and what the cross means, the cross wasn't just for a certain people that looked a certain way or even believed a certain way. The cross was for everyone. And it sounds, according to scripture, foolishness, but it is for salvation for all who believe. So God never made a person that he doesn't love. God never made a person that he doesn't want in heaven. God never made a person he doesn't have a purpose for in life. God never made a person that Jesus didn't die for. Race was God's idea. And I would say that God, his love is so big, his love is so broad and high and wide, is the is the grace and the goodness of God that he loves every shape, he loves every color, he loves every background, and he loves every race. Because creation was God's idea in the first place. It wasn't my idea. It was God's idea. Creation was God's idea right from the beginning. He created us as the image of God, and we are all created equal in the sight of God. But yet, where do we go wrong? Because if race was God's idea, and all people are created equal, then how did we go astray? Well, I would say that the church has been at the center of the conversation and also the the dilemma and the emergence of racial division. The church has been at the center of that, that crisis. And we need to own that. We need to address that. And we need to be a church that's different than that. We need to be at the center of the conversation of reconciliation, not at the center of division and segregation. And so if you look at how Christians, and it's very normal for Christians to do this, if you look at how Christians treat Their opinions. A lot of Christians try to take a cultural opinion that they have adopted, a societal opinion that they have adopted, and they take Scripture and they try to pack that opinion to make it true or to try to prove their point. We all do this. We all do it to a degree where we have an opinion that we think is right, and then we take Scripture and God language and we put it around that idea or that opinion. Um, or, or that thought, and we then speak it out to our friends. We speak it out to the world to try to prove that I am right. And usually, that is in contradiction to some other opinion that we believe is is wrong. And so, we adopt things like this. We do things uh, all the time like this. Where it gets dangerous is when my opinion is so strong that I will reach down into reach into scripture and try to dig around scripture enough that I make stuff up to prove my opinion. And I believe that this has happened in the entire history since since Jesus ascended, since the church started. I believe that Christians have done this, that we all have opinions, yet we make stuff up to try to prove that opinion. And this is what has happened when it comes to the idea of racism and segregation and what the church has done to promote it. We have reached down into scripture to prove that a certain people group or certain people groups are subjugated to other people groups to prove our point that this is the way we ought to live versus looking at people as equal and trying to prove that point. We've looked at people as less than or subhuman that point and tried to prove that that is true. And that's how it eventually uh, played out. This is how it's going to eventually play out as I'm going to talk here um, in the form of oppression, but also then it played out in our history of, of slavery. So I want to go to two texts this morning. One is Genesis 4 and one is Genesis 9. And this is where uh, Christians uh, long time, for a long time have tried to prove that that eventually slavery, but the black race was less than or, or subhuman. Um, as some commentators I've read, that certain people believe that, that races, people of color were, were subhuman in, in some way. And it comes from this. In Genesis 4, it says, Cain said to the Lord after he killed his brother, Cain and Abel, Cain killed Abel, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me uh, will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So this is the mark of Cain. And the mark of Cain evolved into dark black skin. Eventually, that was interpreted as people of color. They received the mark of Cain. It comes from the idea around the 300-400 range of time where Syriac Christians from Syria interpreted the mark of Cain as a black mark on the skin or a black-skinned mark. But it was never interpreted as racially black. We see it evolve in Armenian Christians where they said this, and the Lord was wroth with Cain. He beat Cain's face with hail which blackened like coal, and thus he remained with a black face." So basically, it indicated that he had a black face of some kind, um, of some nature, but not his body. It was never racially charged, it was never his whole body was changed or his race was changed at this point. It was around four to 600 that these, these ideas of the mark eventually turned to black face or dark face or a dark skinned mark, but it was never attributed to race. It was never attributed to race. In Genesis 9 is another one of these cases where we see that in scripture, people have tried to make stuff up around these scriptures to to prove their their point. It's called the curse of Canaan and the curse of Ham, the mark of Ham. A long time has been tied to dark skin. Ham was the son of Noah, and Ham received a curse after the ark had landed. Noah had a little too much wine. He got drunk and fell asleep in a tent, and it's said that Ham saw his dad naked. And because he saw his dad naked, he received a curse. He was put in charge of this people group, the Canaanites, and that's where we get that nation's history. In Genesis 9, starting in 18, it says, Noah's son Shem, Ham, and Japheth came out of the ark. Now, Ham was Canaan's father. These were Noah's three sons. And from the whole earth was populated. Noah, a farmer, made a new start and planted a vineyard. He drank some of the wine, became drunk, and took off his clothes in his tent. Ham, Canaan's father, saw his father naked and told his two brothers who were outside. Shem and Japheth took a robe, threw it over their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered their naked father without looking at him because they turned away. When Noah woke up from his wine, he discovered what his youngest son had done to him. He said, Cursed be Canaan. The lowest servant he will be for his brothers. He also said, Bless the Lord, the Lord of Shem. Canaan will be his servant. May God give space to Japheth. He will live in Shem's tents, and Canaan will be his servant. So if you look closely, you don't see anything about dark skin there. You don't see anything about a mark of uh, Canaan or a mark of Ham, the curse of Ham, being that of, of dark skin. Um, there's so much more around this scripture that is not unpacked. Number one, the euphemism of he saw his dad naked actually means that either one of two things happened. He castrated his dad which sounds pretty horrific, but that happened back then, castrated his dad, or number two, he had sex with his dad. So one of the two things happened. That's why he woke up from the wine and saw what his son had done to him. So it's a little more extreme than just seeing his dad nude. Um, He actually had some kind of sexual encounter or some kind of castrated encounter with his with his dad. Um, so he curses the Canaanites. In the medieval period, then this is reinterpreted. <clears throat> it's reinterpreted as the curse of Ham is that of dark skin. And it was taken and it was, it was, it was interpreted this way because people were trying to find the meaning of the name Ham. And ham was thought to come from the Egyptian word chem. Khem means dark soil. And so in Egypt, you had this enriched dark soil. It means black soil or the nutrients in the soil. But then advancing that research, they basically thought that it came from the Hebrew word mafucham, which means uh, charcoal, which means Dark black charcoal. Well, the problem with doing this is there's no evidence of the tie between the, the Hebrew name chem and the Egyptian word khem. And if you actually disambiguated the word machem, ham means warm. So the idea of ham. If you can think about warm ham on Christmas day, ham means warm. It doesn't mean black and it doesn't mean charcoal. It means warm. So if you disambiguate the word, you don't even get to that point and there's no evidence of the tie to the Egyptian people. Yet it was interpreted that way and for now centuries, Christians have interpreted the curse of ham and the mark of Cain as black skin. Well, during the American Protestant movement, here's your history lesson. During the American Protestant movement, that interpretation was fully embraced. Uh, We see that the curse of Ham turned into that was black people and churches would segregate. There were white churches and there were black churches. The theology separated there was white heaven and there was black heaven. There were black pastors who could not be ordained officially in the, in the Baptist movement. In certain dioceses, the priest would not be able to in any way, or the person that was black wouldn't have even become a priest but couldn't administer certain ideas or sacraments in the church. It wasn't until the late 90s, that the Protestant movement actually apologized for their promotion, a creation, and perpetuation of segregation and, and slavery in America, in the United States. And so that's really disheartening. There's Christians all over the world that still perpetuate and persecute minorities in very progressive Places in the world that you would think, wow, this is just a modern society. This is a place that we go and visit and travel to. This is a beautiful place. And minorities are discriminated against, oppressed, and actually not allowed to go to different places. They're not allowed to visit a restaurant. They're not allowed to visit a bar. They're not allowed to visit a place of of worship. They have to enter into churches at different doors. That still goes on today as we sit there and think that that is a horrific history. That is still going on in the world today um, based on these two scriptures. These are the two scriptures that Christians have latched onto to perpetuate discrimination, racism, segregation, and oppression of black people. Um, If you just look at a short history, a, a recent history, just Wikipedia, and they, these are not people of, of color, uh, but they are people of a certain uh, ethnic or racial g- race group um, called the Cagets. the Cagets in France. Just look them up and see how the church treated the Cagets in France. And you think about how their history and what the church had done to them and what the church had continued to do and still continues by not recognizing who they are as a people to the point that the Kaggits don't even want to recognize themselves as Kaggits. They are ashamed of their history. They don't even want to take claim to it. So totally false doctrine, totally farce and misinterpretation of the ideological and theological just mistake that the church has made has become the cornerstone of the systemic evil of our country promoted by the church through the church by church people right into just adhering to and promoting slavery and continuing with racism today well that's enough to make you want to vomit because if you think about how the church is involved, the church has been at the center of that conversation in promotion. So I posted some things this week, maybe you saw them, maybe you participated in the conversation about a certain sign that we have of Black Lives Matter out in front of our coffee shop, and maybe you saw what happened, it was another note was posted over the top of our sign, and there was a lot of just conversation and a lot of like reactions to this post online and it, some things really were quite affirming like i went wow that's really cool that here we are christian people we are siding on the side of history of love and care and promoting and 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 helping people to rise and i i look at then the affirmation, but I also look at then the criticism that came through. The criticism that came through was so disheartening because um, it was not borderline racist, it was blatantly racist. Not only was it blatantly racist, but it was blatantly white power, white supremacy racist. It was sickening what was coming across our channel to the point that at a certain point, I saw that it became a platform for that voice, and so I took it down because I did not want a platform or promote a platform that allowed a voice of bigotry and racism within our community. It was very real, very prevalent, very in your face, and very uncalled for at every level. The problem with the criticism is it was coming from people that I knew that were involved in the church, universal. And that became very disheartening for me, made me angry that people were finding reason to disassociate, finding reason to criticize and not be a part of the conversation of equality, but trying to find excuses to perpetuate inequality. Um... Even if they didn't know they were doing it, that's what was happening. And so I would say that racism is a major issue for for God. It is a major issue and needs to be a major issue for the church. Racial reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel and we need to be a part of that conversation. We're not gonna be silent on it. It's grounded in scripture. That's where we need to be. It's not a minor issue. It's one of those issues that we, as at such a time as this, need to show up as, as the church. We need to be present at, as the church. We need to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. We need to repent for our history, uh, current history, and we need to move forward in the solution of how to bring a reconciliation and unity to, uh, to race and in the church uh, when it comes to race. If you look at First Chronicles 19.2, it says this, the Lord our God does not tolerate perverted justice, partiality, or the taking of bribes. It says, does not tolerate perverted justice, partiality, or the taking of bribes. I think we kinda got the taking of bribes down. Um, We know what that means. I think that the other day, a couple weeks ago, we talked about justice and injustice, that God does does not tolerate injustice, or in this case it says perverted justice. We talked about doing justice and walking humbly with our God. So I know that the answer to racism, we're not gonna get it right every time. We're not gonna get, uh, get justice right every time. We wanna to strive to be on the side of justice. We wanna to strive to do justice and find and seek it out. We know that we're gonna make mistakes and we're not gonna get things right um, every, every time. But I'll tell you this, racial tension is increasing not decreasing Uh, and, And we cannot be silent about justice. We need to do justice and find just things and join them and be a part of them. And when you become sensitive to this issue of justice, what I know is that you become a really kind person. You actually become kind. If you think about the conversations that are going on today, there is one voice that is not kind, and it and it is is on the side of tearing uh, racial equality down. That is not a kind voice. <clears throat> and so, when you find unity, or excuse me, when you find sensitivity to this to this subject, I believe that your kindness and your love love grows. Um, Think about that social media fight that I got into this week, and you will see the unkind voice. Um, it's taken down now where you can't see it uh, on purpose, but I can tell you that, that uh, it was a very unkind voice, a racist voice, which is, which is wrong. But if you think about this idea of partiality, that is the word for racism where you will lift up, that is the, the exact word for, in the original language, for racism, where God does not show or tolerate partiality. He does not show it and he does not tolerate it between the races. So God wants us to be a reconciler. He was the great reconciler in Jesus. He wants us to be a great reconciler as the church, and that means that you're an active bridge builder, that you are the bridges. You're acting as bridges between people. You're acting as bridges, in this case, between races, and that's where, that's where we need to be. We don't need to be pulled apart more. We don't need to be more polarized. We don't need to be more distracted and divided. We don't need to be Uh, basically blown apart what we need to be is a peacemaker to dig into the conversation and learn how to make peace not a peacekeeper peacekeepers are for those that are afraid of conflict Jesus's kingdom he's going to enter into the conflict he's going to embrace the conflict in order to make peace and so blessed are the peacemakers because they are the children of God so God wants us to be this kind of reconciler. <clears throat> so why does God care about racial injustice so much? Well, I would say that it was never a part of his plan, that racial prejudice questions God's creation. When we are prejudiced in our, in our thought life, our words, and our actions, when it comes to different races, that is not uh, that questions God's creation at every level. We're actually telling God, you made a mistake. We're actually telling God, you, are, you, are not, uh, you did not create the world the way that it was intended to be because I am more important than this other, other person. And so there is a huge amount of arrogance in that viewpoint, that prejudice is actually thinking that I am better than another person, and that's never what Jesus taught. That's never how Jesus acted, it's never what he promoted in his disciples to act. Either he actually told us that the last will be first, and the first will be last, and so in the upside-down kingdom, those that are low will rise, <clears throat> and those that are high will go Low and so that's an upside down idea. And so when the idea of racial prejudice is is in you and it's it's a part of you and you're speaking it out and you're doing it, that is definitely an arrogance that, excuse me, that God am I hitting my I'm sorry for hitting that. Okay, we're good? Alright. So you can I'm just getting passionate and all freaked out up here. Um so racial prejudice is, is an arrogant form of life, and it is wrong. In Acts 17, from one man, and we all came from this original source of humankind, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they would live. He made all people, every nation, every tribe, every race. you didn't choose your race, you didn't choose, where you were born or in what fashion you were born or your parents or your background or your culture, you didn't choose that. God chose every single person from uh, this original source in Adam. God made every nation of men. So one race in God's creation cannot be better, more important, or above any other race. Not any other race is subjugated Subjugated to another race. It's crazy to think that. And so if you are prejudiced in your thinking and you have reg- racial prejudice, that is a form of arrogance, but it's also a form of ignorance. When you think about, what it means to be ignorant it means you don't understand god it means you don't understand humankind it doesn't it means you don't understand culture it means you don't understand the ways of life and so it's a sign of ignorance it's a sign that i would say is just on a level of stupidity where you're walking through life and you think that you're more important than everybody else but yet the reality is is that at that point you're making and rendering yourself useless at that point you're rendering yourself like a non participator you're rendering yourself like on the on the so far on the outside because you feel like you're so far on the inside it's a posing mentality that shows a level of ignorance that that borders borderlines <clears throat> i would say just mental stupidity so 1 john 2:11 says, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. It says, in the darkness. And if you, if you explicate that, it says, walks around in the darkness. Basically, what he's saying is, whoever hates his brother is evil. Whoever hates his brother is walking with the devil. And so, when it comes to these issues of, of prejudice or racial discrimination, I would just say it's evil, and it's walking in in darkness. So the Bible is very clear about, about one group thinking that they are more important than another group or downplaying or oppressing another person. It tells us to be full of, the Bible tells us to be full of compassion for others. It tells us to be full of empathy for others. It tells us to be full of, of um, of friendship with others. it tells us to find equity with others. It tells us to go to the others. It doesn't tell us to separate from the others. And so if you look at the narrative of Scripture, the narrative of God is the human race is to go, to find, to love, to be friends with what you think is, is other. Whether that be a Samaritan, as you know, like the Bible teaches the story of the Samaritans, or whether you think it's a barbarian, the person that's way on the outside in Scripture that's thought of as, well, that person, as the Greeks would say, is a dog. You know, that, that Jesus promoted that we are to go and to come outside of our our preferences to lay that evil down and to rise to that reconciliation occasion. Anything less than that is complete ignorance. It's walking around and what I would say is foolishness. But then to ground us into the last idea is it breaks the greatest commandment. And if you think about breaking the greatest commandment, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He gave two ideas. He said to love God and to love people. When he said to love God and to love people, he uses the and, and that word is chi. And chi in that language ties the first to the latter, the former to the latter. So to love God You're loving people. And I've said this a billion times in this church, and I hope that we get it today. That we love God, we will love people. And when we love people, that is loving God. It is the same command of love. So when we have racial prejudice, it shows a lack of love towards another person, towards a a person that didn't have a choice in the way that they Looked or the color of their skin. It's just because of your preference that we're showing a lack of love. That breaks the greatest command. That breaks what God intended us to be. That breaks what God intended us to do. And so when you are, and we are racially prejudiced, when, who is my neighbor? Not them. Who is my neighbor? Only the people that look like me? That is just a sense of ignorance and arrogance that breaks, completely destroys, what God created us to be. And so that brings then to the very last idea that racial prejudice is not just one of those just simple sins. Oh, I lied about Christmas presents. I lied about, you know, where we were going so I could surprise you on our, on our vacation. Uh, I, I hid something. I hid candy in, you know, my, my closet because, you know, maybe my daughter hid candy in her closet and she gave the little lie. That's not just a little lie. That's not just a little sin. Racial prejudice is a serious sin. If... If you, are, if you are treating people according to their outward appearance of color and you are treating them outside of what God intended us and how he intended us to treat them, that is a law-breaking, greatest commandment sin. That is at the, that is at the top of the list of, of breaking creation. And so when I look at that, you know, all sins are equal, and I understand that in the eyes of God. But seriously, there's consequences to different sins on earth. And when we look at the consequences of racial prejudice, and we look at the consequence of, of racism in general, we now see hundreds of years of cultural Systemic evil, that is the consequence of breaking the greatest command with racism. Hundreds of years of systemic evil that the church needs to work hard and be the be an answer to be involved in that conversation so much to bring repair, to bring peacemaking, to bring unity and to truly embrace the scripture that we are the ministers of reconciliation. I am tired of the Christian people erring on the side of trying to be right versus erring on the side of trying to love. Now is the time We'd have a paradigm shift in our lives to err on that side of history of love. Then we need to embrace that, we need to do that, we need to find creative ways to do that, we don't need to sit on our hands anymore, and we need to run towards that kind of doing justice and humility in our life. Everything else, anything else besides that is arrogance and ignorance and sin in our life. Let's take communion together. That was a heavy topic, and so I pray that you just sit on that and, 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 and steep on that. Don't sit on that. Run with it. Uh, that you would embrace it, that you would steep on it, and you would figure out how you are being racist in your life, that you are being prejudiced in your life, and that you would embrace something different, and I hope that that's reconciliation and love. Jesus died for these things. He said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. He said, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. He tells us he's going to return and make all things new, and I pray for that. But until that time, we can do the hard work to bring that newness, that heaven, to earth today. Let's take communion together. So Father, thank you for creation and that you created us equal, that you created us in your sight, Lord, as many different people, not all of us, none of us look the same. But we are your children. And you created us exactly the way that you designed Every race. And I pray, Lord, that as we are grounded in these scriptures, that we see where certain things are coming from and how we need to be. I pray that we would embrace that truth that our main purpose in life is to love. So help us to love even those that we feel are other that possibly we don't necessarily would never hang out with. Help us to drop our prejudices and help us to embrace, Lord, unity. Help us to work through our racism and, Lord, embrace equality. So, Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.